Hello and welcome to Modern Animism Radio. This is Laura Giles, your host and co-founder of Pan Society. Thanks for tuning in to this show about the animist spiritual world. That's a really big topic and the view of anything depends on where you stand. I actually come from two animist cultures and I'm going to share a bit about what I know about the spiritual world from that perspective. So this is not the truth, but a truth that is informed by ancestral lore, personal experience, and more than one culture. So if you know something else, or if you've experienced something else, take what I say with a grain of salt and do you. I'm really just sharing to give you a way to explore the animist spiritual realms if you're new to it, because it's really different from a Western Christian point of view, all right? So this is not New Age stuff, and it's not Christian. But before I go down a rabbit hole of confusion, as I'm sure it will be, let's do the right thing and pause for gratitude. I'd like to acknowledge the element of earth and ask that you bring us safety, stability, and security. So thank you for all the things that are taking shape and manifesting in the material world at Pan Society. Lots of wonderful things are happening behind the scenes that will be revealed soon. Acknowledge the element of air and thank you for the wisdom, creativity, and intelligence that is flowing so abundantly right now. Acknowledge the element of fire to help stir our passions in positive connecting ways and gives us the will to see our, de- our ideas through. Acknowledge the element of water and give thanks for keeping us in the flow and the rhythm of life. And I give thanks to water for the life-giving properties that it brings to all creatures. I give gratitude to the loving, helping human ancestors for all the support that you provide us that we see and don't see, and thanks to all the plant, animal, and mineral ancestors as well. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Thank you for sharing, liking, subscribing, um, telling your people about us. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MeWe, as well as this podcast and YouTube. So there's many ways that you can contact us and connect with us. So just pick your favorite and subscribe. Please also continue to connect by commenting um, and joining the conversation in our private Facebook group. It's not fun talking at you. You know, we want to know what you think too. So join the conversation. And we got a lot of year-end donations, so I want to publicly acknowledge all of you who contributed. Uh, We are a donation-supported church who is not yet self-sufficient, so every dollar matters. And we're growing, so we need more of them. Um, And if our show moves or inspires you and you want to help keep us afloat, you can donate at our website at pansociety.net. And there's a donate button on the bottom of the page. There's also a button on the Podbean app if you're listening from there. We have a new book called The Singing Pouch for Kindle. If you want to buy something to support us, you can get that at Amazon. It's a cute little book that's based on true events that teaches us how to navigate the spirit world after death. So if you have kids especially, be sure to check that out. All right, so what does the animist spirit world look like? And I hesitate to talk about it because it varies from culture to culture. But if you have no idea, you got to start somewhere, right? So I'm going to do my best to keep it generic, um, but it's hard, and you'll see why. So the first thing to understand is that when you see the world through uh, indigenous animist eyes, there's no division between the spirit world and the material world or the world of what we think of as living and those that are dead. It's like the yin and the yang, two halves of the same whole. They both are alive, both are connected to each other, and what happens in one influences what happens in the other. So we have this theme of sovereignty and connection and oneness already. And everything within both worlds is sovereign. 
but it's all a part of the same web, so it is and it isn't. It's sacred and mundane at the same time. So you have this um, paradox, um, these opposites that are, are true at the same time. Everything's animated, so it's all alive, and it all has a spirit, a will, a consciousness, and I mean everything. So every blade of grass, cloud, raindrop, buffalo, and squirrel. The beings in the other world have spirits too. And these are nature spirits that belong to a particular place, like a spring or a storm. They can be plants or animals too, or the keepers of plants or animals. For example, in Greek mythology, you may have heard of dryads, which are tree spirits. And these aren't the spirit of the tree, but the spirit that lives with the tree, that watches over the tree and animates the tree. It's separate from the tree, but if the dryad leaves, the tree dies. So it's a little complicated. You can't think about it with your Western brain, or trust me, it does not make sense. You have to look at it from the animus lens. So nature spirits aren't people. They don't have gender. So like I'm talking about like a storm. Uh, um, anything that you find in nature. Um, they don't have emotions or human concerns. They generally don't interact with humans or take part in human affairs because they don't have human concerns. Um, they are part of a location, so the spirits of the Andes Mountains or even one mountain peak belongs there. It's not everywhere, and it's not the same as the spirit of the Alleghenies or the Alps. Each is influenced by its landscape, the weather, the temperature, the people who live there. Um, so it makes sense that it's not going to be the same energy. So when people say, oh, there's a forest fire and Mother Earth is angry, she's taken revenge, that, that kind of doesn't really work because um, that's a nature spirit and, and they don't, it, it just, it's just a different consciousness and a different way of moving in the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, this is kind of one of those things when I say anim is, is experiential. If you've ever had an experience with a nature spirit, you would know so totally clearly what I'm talking about, but it's just hard to just, spit it out there to somebody who doesn't have that experience. It's kind of like describing ice cream to somebody who's never seen it or heard about it. Um, so I'm just going to leave that there and <laughs> move on to animal spirits. But animal spirits are different. They move from place to place because they're mobile, you know. Um, so not like a mountain that just stays there. They evolve with man and in most cases have a closer symbiotic relationship with us because people are animals. So. Um, the two of us, are we share more similarities and we're more accessible to each other. And we'll often engage with each other more often and act as spirit guides or take part in our affairs. Because, you know, there's a lot of animals that have been domesticated for a long time or that we've hunted them or that kind of thing. Um, you may see animals in your dreams or have an affinity with particular animals. So um, there are some spirits who are kind of neutral. So they're not really um, interfering with us or participating with us, but they're they're not really indifferent either. And you want to be careful and just leave them alone. So these are going to want, be the ones that have reputations like fairies. So fairies don't exist in all cultures, but many cultures have creatures like fairies that are kind of have a temperamental reputation. 
you don't want to stumble upon one as they're likely to harm you or play a trick. So they're kind of moody. And if you get bad luck, it could be because one of these creatures is hexing you, let's say. Um, twilight and dawn are liminal times when you're most more likely to encounter one of these creatures, so people don't tend to travel in nature at that time. And that's pretty universal, I think, among at least among the animal miscultures that I know about. And if you're in a mystical place that seems to be the home of one of these creatures, and if you're local to that, you know what those places are, you ask permission to pass and you go carefully. So you don't want to step on someone or someone's home. It's that kind of thing. You're just real careful. Um, because it's too, it's not like you necessarily know what the rules are or if you're stepping on something or doing the wrong thing. So you're just really, really careful. Finally, there's dark spirits, and they exist too in every animus culture. It's a complementary dualistic system where there has to be darkness where there's light. So this is not going to be the same thing as a devil or evil. Um, To me, in my mind, and maybe this is not how you define it, but the devil is like a force that's out to get you. And evil, same. It's like um, something that's threatening. This is kind of different to me because it's, it just is what it is, and it's not necessarily out to get you. But if you, but if you engage with it, then you're not going to have the best outcome. So it's not a willfully, I'm going to get you kind of thing in most cases. It's just, it is what it is. Um, some of these can be appeased with rituals, respect, and offerings, like a fairy that kind of creature, uh, but some can't. So these are going to be the ones that you don't even want to utter their names or bring attention to them because there's nothing you can safely do to engage with them. Yeah, so you definitely want to be aware of them. You want to leave them alone. And there's thousands of deities like in Hinduism, because Hinduism is a form of animism. Um, there's a god or goddess for everything. Most of them have to do with everyday life. So they're the kind of, um, they're kind of like Catholic saints. You know, there's a saint for this, a saint for childbirth, a saint for postmen, saint for everything. They're the same thing. God's for everything. So there's a God for a harvest, a God of the household, a God of whatever profession you engage in, and that kind of thing. It doesn't really make sense for me to go into what the gods are for because it's such a local thing. That can vary from region to region, and like the ancient Romans and Egyptians, great people can become gods too. So if your uncle was a particularly wealthy or generous person, he might become a god. The thing I really like about this is that you can't really pin it down. If you ask 10 people in the same region about gods, you'll get many different understandings. So it's a very personal world, and we don't look at it as contradictory because it's not really meant to be scientific. It's not meant to stand up to scientific rigor and be the same all the time for every person. Um, Region matters, weather, relationship, all that. It's like if I asked you who President Biden is or asked 10 people, um, you get 10 different answers because of that relationship and understanding. So it's just not written in stone. When we say there's no dogma, I don't really know how you could set anything in stone in animism because everything is so relational. And as we know from the wheel of life, life's always changing. So the animist worlds, meaning this one and the other world, are relative. It really does depend upon your geography as much as your relationship with everything else and where you stand. So my reality is not your reality. The past is the now or the future. Um, Kind of a sidebar. So let's get back to the gods. 
Each family has uh, household goods. They're usually carved from wood, in my culture anyway, and are crude. Uh, so these aren't made of some lavish material like gold and gemstones. It's, it's really, really super opposite of like the Catholic Church. We have this big, beautiful building and all these beautiful things in it. Um, they're hand-carved and passed down, and that's kind of what makes them precious and unique. Uh, the gods inhabit the statue. Um, sometimes they're kept on an altar or just a certain Oh, it's, it's not really an altar, but it's a certain place, specific place, everybody knows where it is, where it watches over the family. It's more like, you know, if you have a bedroom, you know it's your bedroom. It's more like that than, a, than an altar. It's a place for the statue, God, but it's not, it's, an altar is kind of like a working space, and it's not that. Um, anyway. <laughs> It gets sidetracked. Um, so the god inhabits the statue. It's kept in this place. And the family takes care of it by giving it offerings and gratitude. And they include it in the rituals and things like that. So if you've ever seen movies where they parade the Catholic saints around, it's kind of like that in a way. Um, so it's about reciprocity. It's about relationship. And ancestors can be um, depicted by crudely created statues. So don't confuse the two. So you might see one that's an ancestor might see one that's a god. Um, the god statues are the god that ancestor statues aren't. So the ancestor statues aren't sacred, and they're more ornamental versus revered. Uh, probably confusing, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, anyway, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> um, the ancestors can be your DNA relatives, your foster family, your adoptive family, or just the spirits that look over the well-being of your family. So to be an ancestor, you have to be more than just dead. Or you don't necessarily even have to be blood-related. Um, so the term ancestor is kind of broad. But it also refers to spirits that have um, died and been resolved or cleaned. It means they lived and died well. So they left their baggage here and um, are just more wise, let's say. Uh, if they have all that baggage with them, they're not going to be able to advise you well. So, for example, I facilitate past life regression. I see people who have a lot of past life baggage. That's why they come to for a regression is to resolve that stuff, leave it behind. Um, so they may have some trauma, pain, anger, revenge, or you know whatever. It could be anything. It could be that they died painfully or too soon didn't have funeral rituals or any traditions to help them die well to get to the other side, so they just hung on to their garbage. Now they're on the other side with a load of mess. And are they in a good position to advise you? No. <laughs> this doesn't mean that they can't. Um, so, so they may be talking to you. So let's say that your uh, favorite aunt was Aunt Maggie and you had a connection with her in life and you speak of her in death. But old Aunt Maggie hates men. She wasn't good with money or she had a fear of dying. And all of that is going to influence how well she guides you. So if you're asking about money or men or dying, is she going to be a reliable guide? No. She's still attached to her human experience and is an objective. So you don't really want to rely on her for at least that, but probably not too much of anything. So death doesn't, doesn't make you wise necessarily. Um, not only that, but her energy isn't probably going to be all that nice to be around. For example, I had a client who was really attached to her mother-in-law. When her mother-in-law died, um, she talked to her all the time. She just couldn't let go of her. 
And at first it was really assuring, but the longer it went on, the more depressed the woman got. And it's because the dead don't belong here. They belong in the other world. So keeping them here with our grief or our neediness isn't good for them or us. And once she let her go, her mood lifted a lot and both were able to go on with their lives. But this could be true even if it's not someone who's newly dead. If you've ever been in a haunted house, you know what I mean. The energy feels stale and heavy, and it's not necessarily about the spirit being negative or dark. It just doesn't belong there. It's the same at a battlefield or a battlefield hospital. That's not always like that because I've certainly been to places that, that didn't have that feeling. But you can feel when the spirits are present. And there can be nasty smells too. So if it doesn't feel alive or healthy or like something that you want to be around, that's probably what's going on. So you might want to leave that, that area because it's going to hang heavy on you if you hang around. Anyway, uh, ancestors are normally around when someone is ill or dying. And they can be called at any time for help with any sort of issue, but they tend to intercede with health issues or to come to escort the dead to the other world. So it's kind of like angels in a way. I kind of don't like making these comparisons with like angels, Catholic saints, because then people start thinking of it that way, and it's really its own thing. Um, but, you know, you have to have some sort of commonality in a way to understand. So we live in a comparative world where we know things by this is smaller than that, this is yellower than that, bigger than that, smellier than that. And that's why I offer the comparison to angels. They're really not like angels. Um, making sure that your ancestors are resting in peace is really important. So if someone is sick, it could be because the ancestors aren't happy. Do you want to keep the burial clothes modest? so that no one becomes jealous or it attracts negative attention. So if you're familiar with the evil eye, it's that kind of thing. You don't want to, there's, there's just spirits all around, and they can be good or they can be bad, and so you don't want to attract their attention. So don't be too flashy. Um, if there's a poor harvest, it could be because an ancestor isn't happy or a nature spirit or any kind of spirit is not happy. So there's lots of ancestor tending practice, practices that happen to keep them happy. And death is highly ritualized. Um, and it usually, the, the process, the funeral, takes days. Uh, I could do a whole podcast just on that, but it's specific to my culture, so I won't. But usually in animist cultures, it, the funeral is pretty lengthy because you want to be sure that they're in peace. So how does one get to the other world? In most cases, it's by boat. And this boat is also used at Ancestor Day and other times when you want to connect with the dead or give them offerings. So you just load up the boat with whatever you're offering put it on a river, if you have a river or water stream, whatever, um, near your property, and then let it carry it to the other world. Because crossing over is a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously at the moment of death. When you're nearly dead, you can manifest uh, where people can see you. So a bird or other animal is the most common way for that to happen, and it's generally seen as positive. For example, I know you've heard people say that after someone dies, they saw an owl or a coyote or some bird, bunny, whatever, that was acting very friendly or strangely, and they just knew that it was their loved one, right? I mean, we've all heard that, right? Uh, Only when someone's been dead a while and they're fully crossed over and cleansed can they serve as an ancestor. So in this in-between period when they're coming back as birds and stuff, they're not yet crossed over. We think of death as what happens when the soul leaves the body, but in animism, that's not exactly true. 
So there's always this, hmm, maybe, yeah, this is true, kind of, but maybe it happens throughout. So it's really hard to, to explain stuff because it's like, well, it's like this, except when it's like that. This is one of those times. Um, but so there's two souls for people and, um, and animals. One can withdraw due to illness, shock, trauma, and your body is still alive. If the other one withdraws, then the body dies. So if you've ever seen anybody who's had something happen and was never the same afterwards, this is what I'm talking about. Like if they became a drug addict, uh, was in war, was raped, or something like that, that that's kind of the thing that would make that soul leave. Um, if you've ever seen somebody who has dead eyes, like they're not all there, that could be an example of one part of the soul departing. In other cultures, they, they say there's three, four, five, I've even heard of seven parts to the soul. So I wouldn't get on, hung up on specifics and be like, well, this one says it's this, well, it's that, blah, 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 blah. It's just one of those things where there's no consistency. Um, the big idea is just know that the soul may or may not just be one piece. Um, and another thing that the soul can do is go wandering at night. You, especially in Asia, you hear lots of um, superstitions around wandering souls. Uh, so if the soul's out wandering at night and has some negative encounters, this can result in nightmares. Um, yeah, so there's all kinds of superstitions and rules around staying safe while you're sleeping and how to avoid wandering souls. For example, if somebody's sleeping, you want to take care of how you wake them up in case their soul is wandering, and you want them to wake up gently so you don't shock them awake. Um, now, even though I just talked about how people have more than one soul, the thing that we call inanimate only has one. The soul of an object is the essence of its being. So I, I find this really, really interesting from a Western perspective. Uh, so a knife, let's say, that doesn't cut has lost its soul. A pair of glasses that is, loses a lens or is scratched so that it can't be used as glasses anymore has lost its soul or its usefulness. So everything has a purpose. If it can't or won't do its purpose, it has soul loss. And this is why when something is created in animism, particularly if it's to be a magical object, it's done with intention and prayers. It's to assist it in the process of becoming. This is also why we give thanks to things on an ongoing basis. Things want to be seen and appreciated. If it gives to you, you reciprocate or it will you lose its blessing and its, or its usefulness. The spirit world is parallel to this one, but it also has several levels or parts. And I've heard some people call this the upper world or lower world, but really there's just one world. There's that it is and it isn't thing again. (laughs) It's um, not at all like heaven or hell. So these concepts don't exist at all in animism and are part of Judeo-Christian beliefs. Um, So even though there are levels or parts, I think it's more useful to just think of it as all one. Um, It's kind of like your body has parts, but it's all one body. You know, your heart is a part, your toes are a part, but it's still one body. Um, Yeah, sometimes it's useful to talk about the heart separately, but if you're talking about health, really, it's not because it all functions together. So as I was saying earlier, we don't utilize altars, but um, I know a lot of animals do. 
Nature for us is the altar because the spirit's everywhere. We might use altars temporarily, but they don't tend to stay up. Like I know some people have a seasonal altar and it'll stay up all season or they have an elemental altar and that'll stay up. Um, so we don't do that. Um, shrines are a different story. Almost everybody has a shrine, an ancestor shrine. Um, we do have spirit animals, but they don't function the way that you hear about in popular culture. I'll just say that about it. Uh, if you have a relationship with one, you'll know what I mean. It's kind of that experiential thing. Um, one thing I really don't want to do is to put it down like this is what it is because culture matters. Like I said, geography matters, DNA matters. If your experience is something different, like I said, roll with that. You're not going to know until you have some experiences. So I'd encourage you to learn, get a strong foundation out of you, and then keep it yourself. So your spirits are going to talk to you if you want them to. Um, you need to learn how to discern what's your ego and what's the voice of spirit. But once you do that, then um, you you just kind of know. And, you know, your spirit guides are here to help you. That's what they're there for. So I, I think it's animism is really super experiential. So you need to have some experiences. And we do have mythological creatures. I think you kind of picked up on that with the nature spirits, right? There's lots of myths, too. Um, in the, the video that I posted called The Singing Couch, it's, it's a story about a grandma that wouldn't cross over because her dying wishes were not honored. So the myths are like that. They mix everyday life with magic to explain why things are the way they are. They give us ways to solve problems and teach our kids about the animus cosmos. And there's a lot of words and ideas that don't exist in English, so it's hard to explain a lot of it in ways that make sense to us. Um, yeah, it's, it would be like explaining all the different ways that snow is different. You know, if you have a language with, I don't know how many words they have for snow up north, but we only have one, snow. So how do you how do you convey that to people? I don't know. It's If there's a gap, that's what I'm talking about. Um, we don't really worship the way Judeo-Christians do. Everything is sacred, so life is a living prayer. And a mindfulness, a mindful practice of connection um, with all that is, is is kind of how it's done every day, every moment. So in a way, everything we do is a testament of our faith, our prayer, our values, our way to connect. And doing this is a way to stay engaged with the physical and non-physical world and a way to be whole. There's some things that humans can't for ourselves so and a spirit walker is needed because we can only go so deeply into the spirit world and these spirit walkers aren't cranked out in workshops you can't just decide to be one um you can't just go to a class sign up and do your i don't know weekend how, how long does it take to be a spirit walker i don't know anyway um you have to be chosen by spirits it's usually familial but not always uh, the spirit walker also has a period of apprenticeship. Um, they they learn under somebody who teaches them the ropes. So it's not a uh, let me download all I need from spirit and I'm good to go. There's both. There's spirit chosen and human mentored. And usually this is somebody in your family who knows you and you have a relationship. So there's a lot of learning that goes on for a long period of time. Um, and usually... In one of my cultures, it's a she, uh, because the spirit walker is almost always female, and when she isn't, it's a trans male. In my other culture, the spirit walker is almost always a male. And this is because in that culture, the primary role of the female is to ensure the survival of the tribe through having and rearing children. 
and you can't serve your family and your tribe at the same time. So you can't serve two masters. Um, there's a saying, a saying about that. Uh, oh, it's about the hunter and two rabbits. If you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither one. It's that. So um, in that culture, the female's primary job is, is the mother and rear children. Um, so the women who do become spirit walkers in that tradition aren't chosen until after their childbearing days are over, or, they're, or they could be women who are barren. So culture matters a lot. While I'm talking about this, let me pause to say that no sane person in either one of those cultures are going to volunteer for this. So it's rather strange when people are like, oh, I'm a spirit walker, because it just doesn't really happen there. Um, I'm not sure what the Western fascination with it is, because unless it's ego or status or just, you know, I want to feel important, because it's a lonely, isolating existence, because these people are usually on the fringes of society. They have experiences that no one else can understand, so they don't really relate well to other people. Um, it's kind of like you're, you're kind of scary. <laughs> people deal with you because they have to, but you're a little bit scary and a little bit weird. So people kind of respect you, but keep a respectful distance. And when they're doing their rituals and things that they do on our behalf, it's often violent and torturous. So they can have seizures, spasms. It can go on for days. Um, And it's dangerous. So I don't get it when people are like, hey, let's go into the spirit world on the ayahuasca train with no protection, no wisdom, no training, or no clue, and see what happens. (laughs) So I'm not saying that uh, spiritual breakthroughs and healings don't happen. I believe they do. I'm just saying that I think it's reckless and done with a huge degree of ignorance in a lot of cases um, because these are the people, the scary people, that other people are afraid to approach. He's not a businessman who schedules your exorcism for 3 o'clock on Friday and has 10 others this week. It's just not – that's just such a Western way of imagining it. It's not that at, at all, at all. Even for one ceremony, there's a huge build-up to it. There's lots of sacrifices. There's prayers. There's all this stuff that goes into it, and, and it takes days. So there might only be one ceremony for one person in a whole week, and that isn't enough to drain you because there has to be recovery time too. So I don't. It's, I'll just say that it's different. Okay. <laughs> um, the spirit walker does what he or she does out of service to the community. It's voluntary, it's unpaid, and it's done in love for the community. It's just like, this is how I serve. This is who I am. This is how I roll. Um, So even though it's unpaid, though, donations of food, resources, things like that are given, which I think is appropriate. Because when someone takes out time from their day to do something for you, they could be working and making money. So it's polite to do something for them nice in return. So if it takes you three days to build up for that and you're not making money, all that income is lost. So do you want to give them something in return for what they've done for you? I hope so. I certainly hope so. And if you value what they're doing, I hope they're compensated. Because and and I just couldn't imagine taking money for some for a service like that. I just it just wouldn't happen. It doesn't happen. Um and at the same time, a person's got to eat. So there has to be this reciprocity. Um, yeah, because if we gave all our time away, there's no time to work, to wash clothes, to cook, or do the things we need 
to do to get by every day. So we have to serve ourselves first. And if I'm not being taken care of in turn and I have to serve myself, then that means I don't have anything to give to you. So it is totally reciprocal. Um, and if I can't serve you, then you don't benefit from my gifts and I don't benefit from giving my gifts away. So even though the spirit walker doesn't charge money for his or her services, she is compensated in some way. It's not a profession. It's a spiritual calling. And I like it that way. I wouldn't want my spirituality diluted or contaminated by the need for money. It, it makes it a heartfelt offering. You know, if it's not that, then just don't even make it at all. That way, it, it, it's, everybody's, it, it's coming from an equal playing field if we're all in the same game and we're all playing by the same rules. So another thing I want to say about this is that um, th- 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 it's not done in, in instant gratification time. Uh, we did a two-hour ritual once, and people were groaning about how long it was going to take. So spirit takes as long as it takes to do what it needs to do. And rituals are often all night or can be several nights or days. And I hear it's a lunar thing, solar thing. And I hear about people doing deep healing rituals in 15 minutes. I can't say whether that works or not. All I can say that that's typically not the animus way. Things unfold. They evolve. I mean, if you do a lunar thing, then it can take the whole month to unfold. Or at least from the new moon to the full or full to the new. That That's just kind of expected. But things happen when they happen. I've definitely had some exceptions to that. I had some really wild releases from my body 15 minutes into a ritual, but it's rare. And it usually is a process that involves commitment, surrender, time, and, you know, things happen in their own time. So if it happens in five minutes, cool, boom. But I, I wouldn't say that that's typical. So covered lots of ground about the spirit world. I hope that's probably creating more questions than answers, right? <laughs> well, that's a, an introduction anyway. That's our show for this week. And once again, thanks for tuning in. If you want to join us live and you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, we have moon circles and other gatherings on a regular basis. Pop in and see us. You can check out our website or Facebook page for details on that. Um, we are kind of, we're doing online mostly because of COVID, but we do have some um, live events, so we'd love to see you there. If you're new to animism, we have at least four Ask Us podcasts. So you got questions, they're probably in there. Um, so check those out in the archives. And thank you all for joining us for this edition of Pan Society Radio. So grateful for you being here and tuning in. Hope you're having a fabulous 2021 so far. And I'll see you all next week. Ciao.